Christmas 2022. All of you folks listening out there, I'm your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting in for Pete Callender here at WBT. News Talk 1110-993. You want to get on the conversation today, give us a call, 704-570-1110-570-1110. We're going to go through the day. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting time after Christmas, this period between Christmas and New Year, where a good portion of the public you know, isn't at work. The roads are not that crowded. We'll we'll check in with traffic with Boomer in a little while, but I, but I'm, I'm taking a guess. I would be an, an odds-on favorite to say not many problems out there today. It's uh, other than being a little brisk. I don't think there's any problems. A lot of people after Christmas sales going back, returning gifts, exchanging gifts, getting new gifts. You know, for that family that's delayed, my part of my family is coming in tomorrow, so I still have a day to buy Christmas gifts for that part of the family. Uh, but again, glad you are joining us. And it is also a week that you will find more and more reflective stories. Looking back to 2022, what happened this year? What do we have to look forward to in 23? Uh, a lot of lamentations. Some people talk about the good things that happened or the stars that passed or uh, any number of, of reflective stories. We'll go through one of those. I think that uh, Joe Concha has a fantastic one on the five big news stories of 22 that you won't see in almost any other news broadcast, but are, the but are stories nonetheless. And I, I do want to go through today a little bit about, you know, luckily this time of year, due to the nature of news, and it's a little different cycle, to reflect back on what it was like at the beginning of this country. We, we, we And correct some of the rumors and innuendos and things that are out there that are not correct. You know, our, our founding fathers weren't 18, 19 years of age. They were generally in their 30s and 40s, and, and the oldest being Franklin at 70. But just a little bit about that and, and how that you, as an individual, that one person can make a difference. It, it was really there – there was a lot of sentiment floating around, but it was really Thomas Paine's common sense and Benjamin Rush being inspired by that that led through the year of 1776 to the Christmas of 1776, which really was kind of a turning point in the, in the war. <clears throat> and, and I want to go back through that a little bit, not – not overly, but to make you feel that that you can make a difference, that these individuals made a difference standing up in, in horrific times against the most powerful army the world had ever seen at that point, the most powerful naval uh, force that had ever been launched. Just an amazing, inspired way of looking at things. And in, in America's history is littered with inspired individuals that changed the world, and, and certainly those two did. They, it gets overlooked. It doesn't get off discussed. But it's, it's worth remembering as we look back, not on, only on this year, but on our lives. It's a good time to take stock of our lives. We're mortal. We have a limited time on the planet. You know, uh, many of us, you get to a certain point where you know there's more days behind you than there are ahead of you, and it's good to take stock of that. Your, your life becomes inexorably different when you're looking – back a little bit to gauge the time left that you may have or that you hope you have because that time there's no no one necessarily knows the time for certain when your exit is going to take place the best you can do is be prepared and enjoy the moments that you have with friends family co-workers whatever it is you do to live thrive and survive so we'll, we'll do a little bit of that also uh, i want to get to the fbi victor davis hansen has a very good piece today about the FBI, and it, it, that bureau is in tatters right now. And, and the real shame of this, it's like any other big endeavor. You know, if you look at bureaucracy, if you look at education, it's it's always fascinating when, whenever anyone on the conservative side tries to go after the behemoth of 
the Leviathan, this, this monstrosity that is government-run education, the news media often portrays it as an attack on teachers. We have phenomenal teachers. We have people that are sincerely involved in teaching our kids and have a passion for it. It's not them necessarily that's causing the problem. There are a few. There are some, obviously, that want to get into sexualizing kids. And the obsession with sexualizing kids just is fascinating and bizarre to me. But at the same time, they are a bad player. The organizational structure. Randy Weingarten, the people at the top, the DPI, all of these organizational structures are the problem in most instances in education or in their bureaucracy. It's usually the leadership or lack thereof that's causing most of the problem. The IRS, look, I believe it can be abolished or at least diminished, but it's the leadership of the IRS that is problematic. It's become so bureaucratized that that nobody can give you a straight answer. The code is archaic. It's it's more complex than biblical scripture. In fact, it's about four or five times the size of the King James version of the Bible. And and you could put it in small print, it would still be larger. It's just it's become so bad it needs to be struck down. But the people in DC that run the show like it that way. It's so complicated that they take credit for the smallest of things and they don't have a balanced budget. So they don't have a balanced budget. They have an IRS that's out of control. But again, I digress. What I wanted to say was we're going to look a little bit at the FBI. It's become much the same way. It's lacking in leadership. It's lacking in vision. There are wonderful FBI agents. There are people in law enforcement that do a bang-up job, but the leadership has discredited the agency. And if you're working in that agency, it's got to be very uh, frustrating to know that the people at the top are acting in such a politicized manner. So we want to go a little bit through that. And also, this the story that just ran in the news at the top of the hour, bottom of the hour, you'll hear it several times about the energy station attacks out west. I want to go through that because there's a lot to this. And the way the media is portraying these attacks on these energy stations, energy production stations, and that, that we need to look a little more beyond just the surface of what's going on there. Because if you wanted to bring about terror in the U.S., there's a couple of ways you can do it. And certainly attacking the infrastructure of energy production or a city water supply, there are really easy, unfortunately, easy ways to do that. There are places that are that are not securitized, that are very easy to get to. And, and who benefits from that? Who benefits from these attacks? Because the way it's being portrayed and what the truth may be, it's, it's, it's trying to force the public into a very narrow way of looking at what those attacks could be the result of. We'll talk about that. Also, two studies out there about meat and sleep. We'll get to both of those because a lot of what you've been told, who knows, might not be right. So it's always good to be informed and at least hear a balanced view of things. Now, so, you know, that took us kind of through the first segment, but I do want to get to the, the power structure story. I think it's a very, very interesting story, and, and it'll take a little while, and we do have a break coming up. And, you know, as I'm sitting here looking at the times, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm probably going to have to go to the first break first, but we'll wait a second. So, also, your calls. You want to get in on the conversation? You want to be part of things? Please give us a call at 704-570-1110. Appreciate the folks from Friday's show who reached out uh, and DM'd me after the show. And I may get some. One of those was uh, uh, there were two legislators that reached out. I may try to get one of them on the show this week to discuss some of the ongoing uh, ridiculousness in Raleigh, even though so the Republicans have a veto-proof majority in the Senate. They do not have and have not had a veto-proof majority in the House really for most of Tim Moore's tenure there, much to the chagrin of many Republicans in that chamber. And it has allowed Governor Cooper to at least have some leverage. <laughs> One of the things I love 
about being here. And, and thanks to Pete Callender and the whole station, Mike and Bernie and everybody. It, it, it's a great, it's a great family. WBT Charlotte is blessed. Uh, Charlotteans are blessed to have such a solid station. Again, one of the, the best, if not the best in the state. And it, it always amazes. One of the funniest things is when your microphone's on and they say, ah, you know, hey, not very often middle-aged guy gets called hot. So I appreciate that. I know he's referring to the mics, but I can think of it any way I want to. Now, and also a special shout-out to Dave. Appreciate the shout-out from Dave on Twitter uh, about uh, being the guest host today. And, 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 and thank you, Dave. Appreciate you listening and being a part of things. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about these power outages, not the ones caused by cold weather or winds are blowing, trees falling down and stuff. Uh, just We're talking about the attacks on our infrastructure. So Washington State authorities said this is from The Hill, and you've heard it here on WBT. Washington State authorities said that several electrical power stations were victims of a coordinated attack on Christmas. In a news release, the Pierce County Sheriff's Department said its deputies were notified in the early morning of three reported robberies on Sunday at two Tacoma Public Utility substations and at a Puget Sound Energy substation. Authorities added that all energy substations were broken into and some of the the equipment was either vandalized or damaged. Said that it created power outages for about 14,000 folks due to the coordinated attack. It's kind of a drinking game. You get to take a drink every time you hear the word coordinated. Uh, at this time, deputies are conducting the initial ad- investigation. We do not have any suspects in custody. It is unknown if there are any motives or if this was a coordinated attack on the power system. The Sheriff's Department also said that its deputies received a call about a fire happening at another substation after suspects gained access through the fenced area and vandalized the equipment. So they're looking at this. They're not sure what's going on. Uh, Similar coordinated attacks happened at two energy substations in Moore County, North Carolina last month, resulting in nearly 40,000 residents losing power for days. The FBI has launched a probe. They haven't arrested anyone. They keep talking about getting close. And the CNN story is pretty interesting because the CNN story from December 9th, when you go back and look at these in light of the current ones, a growing number of reported threats to power infrastructure are under investigation following attacks on substations in the south and on the west coast as electricity becomes a more critical need in winter. Even before the gas assaults Saturday in Moore County, North Carolina, wiped out power for days, at least five electrical substations in Oregon and Washington have been attacked in November. So this is an ongoing, rather large, spread out series of attacks. And if you, if you were to put this together, so let's just say it was coordinated. And I'm going to get to the coordinated part in a minute. So please don't play the drinking game while you're listening to the show because you're you're going to hear the coordinated word a few more times. Even before those gun assaults, so we we if you were if you me if many of us if I you if all of us collectively were kind of working toward figuring out a way to cause damage and and inflict terror, a good way to do that would be to knock out power. I mean, there's several ways to do it. If you were reading a Tom Clancy novel or something of that sort, you you would figure out ways to do it. And if you look at these attacks, you could easily say, hey, is this kind of a test? In other words, are people testing what the reaction is like, how much they can get away with, how quickly uh, law enforcement responds, how quickly they can find you know, who did it? Now, that's a conspiratorial way of looking at things. It could be people acting in a non-conspiratorial way. However, when you look at this and you look at what's happening on the West Coast and in Moore County, it's it's just interesting, the timing of it and all that's going on. So when you go back down into the story a little more from earlier in the month, while no motives or suspects 
behind the North Carolina attacks have been identified. Investigators are zeroing in on two possible threads centered on extremists' behavior. Writings by extremists, who they don't identify, on online forums encouraging attacks on critical infrastructure and a series of recent disruptions of LGBTQ plus events across the nation by domestic extremist law enforcement sources told CNN. Now, what they're trying to say is it's all right wing stuff because it's, oh, it's trying to stop a drag show. It's trying to do that. So it's tying in the right as an attack from the right against the left. Not that anything on the left is ever extreme. It's always, you never hear about left-wing extremists. Though investigators have no evidence connecting the Moore County outage to a drag event that began there when the lights went out, the timing and context of armed confrontations around similar LGBTQ events across the country are being considered, the sources told CNN. The outage ended the Moore County drag show after audience members lit the stage with phone flashlights. Sandhills Pride has said, which is interesting, that sentence doesn't make sense because you would think that the show went on when people lit the stage with flashlights. As the investigators continue to look for evidence and clues, detectives with Moore County Sheriff's Office have applied for search warrants. Uh, anyway, Moore County, interestingly enough, for those of you not familiar, it's in the Sandhills, the great golfing and stuff. It's a very conservative, meaning very Republican county, I should say. It's a conservative, but it's very Republican county, not unlike Brunswick County would be. These are uh, an area... Uh, where Democrats don't, but the left tries to do provocative things like the LGBTQ event they talked about would be an unusual thing, and it's meant to be provocative. It's not like they did this in downtown Chapel Hill or Durham. They did it in Moore County to be provocative. Now, that doesn't excuse anybody attacking a substation. What I'm saying is acts of provocation by left and right take place, and that often causes more problems than it solves. The FBI had warned of reports of threats to electrical infrastructure by people espousing racially or ethnically motivated extremist ideology. So we've gone from against LGBTQ. The next statement is, oh, it's got to be racial. It's got to be ethnic to create civil order, disorder, and inspire further violence, according to the FBI. Gunfire near a power station in Ridgeway, South Carolina, and this is in early December, was a random act. The FBI had joined the investigation there, but the only connection between the shooting and the hydro station is proximity. So these are where you you kind of have to wonder what the heck is is going on. And and I'll get to that. I'll get to more of this on the other side of the break here shortly. But 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 notice that when they do these things, it's always going to point in one direction. It could be. It could be. We'll talk a little bit more about this on the other side of the break. Welcome back, folks. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. Hope Pete's enjoying some well-deserved time off and all the folks making it happen here at WBT. News Talk 1110-993. WBT does welcome the Light the Nights Festival where you can make merry memories at Truist Field now through January 6th. There's an ice skating rink, a snow tubing hill. By the way, that snow tubing hill, 150 feet long. And in this weather, it's not melting fast. Plus, enjoy light shows, live entertainment, holiday treats, Christmas trees, shopping, Santa, more. Brought to you in part by Piedmont Natural Gas. Share the warmth. So go on out there, play, learn how to play hockey, do some figure skating. More on Uptown's only regulation size outdoor hockey rink. So do that. Do it. Lots of fun. It is a season to have fun for kids. We get to remind you of some of the not-so-pleasant things, but that's what adults do. One thing I love about this country is we solve problems. We love to come together and solve them. In spite of people trying to make it a very divisive country, there's a lot of us that uh, like to get along. Now, a little bit about this substation attack stuff. When you get into the story, 
it, it always is interesting to me. If you were trying to inflict damage to the country, I, I love how whenever there's stuff online, you remember during uh, that that during the election and stuff like that, it was all Russian bots. It was Russian. Any di- it was all disinformation. It was all you know the Steele dossier wasn't that was true, but anything uh, else that was out there was a bunch of Russian disinformation. Now, when it comes to this stuff online, they the FBI absolutely hundred percent sure that anti government groups are doing it, not Russians or people from other. It's, it's, it must be anti government groups. In the past two years, have been using online forums to urge followers to attack critical infrastructure, including the power grid. They have posted documents and instructions outlining these vulnerabilities. One 14-page guide obtained by CNN cited as an example the 2013 sniper attack on a high-voltage substation in Silicon Valley that destroyed 17 transformers and cost Pacific Gas and Electric $15 million in repairs. The caliber bullets in that California incident different from those used in North Carolina, a law enforcement source told CNN. But whoever did attack the one in North Carolina knew exactly what they were doing, according to Moore County Sheriff Ronnie Fields. But again, you're seeing this stuff happen again more and more. Now, what doesn't ever get – I'm going to sound conspiratorial, and I don't want to because I'm not – I am not implying that anything that I am about to say has happened. What I am going to say is when you have a porous border where 5 million people can come across, many of those enemies of this country, if you are a foreign militant terrorist, the easiest way to get into America is to fly to Mexico. We have people, we have found people on the known terror watch list. We've encountered some of those, apprehended some of those. But if you're only encountering 10 or 15% of the folks that are crossing the border, there's a lot of stuff you're missing. And you're, you're missing some very – I'm not just talking about drug mules and drug dealers. I'm not just talking about members of the cartel. I'm talking about actual terrifying people that would love nothing more than to make 9-11 look like a walk in the park. That would love to, from an organized standpoint, inflict dangerous mayhem, deadly force, any number of things. And if you wanted to test what and who and what we are all about, you start doing some of these attacks. Maybe you are putting this stuff out there online. It's entire, What the FBI said is entirely 100% plausible possible, possibly even likely. But to rule out that we have many enemies of our country coming across the southern border, and the world knows it. The world knows it. If you want to get here, that's where you go. If you want to get – forget trying to get you know fancy paperwork and anything on people organized, but – with, with certain communications and burner phones and the ability to come across the, the border and, and moving some money around, you've got, you could have organized militia units operating inside our borders, unfettered, untracked, unknown. And then you can have a certain ways of testing our resolve and our resilience. And where, where would you want to inflict terror? I mean, it was horrible what happened in New York. And many, I think in the past, I think many groups that wanted to hurt our country would look at a New York or Los Angeles and would look at big city attacks. But really... If you show America you can get to anybody anywhere in small-town America, that's even more terrifying in some ways. It just shows anywhere in any state in the Union an attack could take place. And again, not saying that's what, but if I were writing the novel, if I were writing the Tom Clancy novel about an incursion in our country, that is absolutely where I would do it. So, and and this is what's funny. as. <laughs> Uh, not funny. Uh, just having fun here outside, looking out at the cross. I'm at the coast. I'm looking out the marsh, and there's deer walking through the marsh right now, as I'm right in the middle of the day. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. Now, 
Uh, the next thing I want to get to today, and if you want to get on the conversation at 704-570-1110, is a little bit about the, the history side of things. We don't, we, I don't want to bore you with it, and I promise it's not boring. I think it's rather remarkable what took place in this country to get to where we are now. And, and, and again, um, it, it, it doesn't it, – it, it bears repeating because we, we look at, as you look at your kids and other people's kids and you think about how much we have and what we complain about and the things we complain about and the sacrifices that many people say, hey, you need to get involved. You can make a difference. And people go, well, you know, I really can at this point. Uh, it doesn't – one person doesn't make a difference or I don't feel that what I can do can make a difference. I, I, I promise you, you can Especially if you're someone of, of faith, you know that you can make a difference. You know the power of an individual with an inspired idea, with the inspired work ethic, and things of that nature. It's it's remarkable. So, and, and two of those people were Thomas Paine and Benjamin Rush. And this is a great piece over over at American Mind by Christopher Flannery. And it's not too long. I, I do want to get into it. We will take our breaks. We will get to the top of the hour. One had to be a fool or a fanatic in early January of 1776 to advocate American independence. That is the considered judgment of one of the leading historians of the American Revolution. Meeting in Philadelphia, delegates from the 13 colonies to the Second Continental Congress had been discussing the independence for months leading up to January of 1776. Some were strong advocates. All delegates were pledged not to reveal the secrets of the conversation outside the doors of Congress. One reason was that it's dangerous. Now, we, we, we talk about free speech in this country, but at that time, independence meant rebellion. Rebellion meant treason. Treason was a capital offense. Kind of off with your head. Nonetheless, one of those delegates, a 29-year-old physician and spirited patriot from Philadelphia named Benjamin Rush, sought out an acquaintance who was not a member of Congress to discuss independence to the public. This acquaintance, a few years older, had been an unknown shopkeeper in England until a few years before. Now he worked as an editor and writer for Pennsylvania Magazine. Soon he would become the famous Thomas Paine. Paine liked Rush's idea, maybe even more than Rush did. He set out to work writing it, and the two began to meet at night in his home, reading passages aloud and editing them. When the pamphlet was finished, Rush suggested a title and arranged for a printer. Now, this wasn't easy stuff back then. It wasn't like you just you went to Kinko's. <laughs> Finding a printer and printing a pamphlet. On January the 10th, the beginning of 1776, Common Sense was published. It was arguing fiercely, uncompromisingly for American independence. It became more widely read than any merely human writing yet published in America. It contributed greatly to making the idea of independence seem not foolish or fanatical, but inevitable. Now, think about that. Two guys, a 29-year-old talking to a guy a few years older, said, hey, I think there's a lot of validity here. And how do you inspire? How do two people inspire a nation? This is the power of media. And it takes us to today. And the power of our media is being used not for good, sadly. It's being used for conspiratorial, government, pro-government. Think about it. The media of today would be the equivalent of British media back then. Working against the Americans. They wouldn't have been working for American independence. They would have been working against it. When the pamphlet was finished, Rush suggested a title. It came up with common sense. It became widely read. On July 4th, 1776, America went from a discussing and advocating independence to declaring it. But declaring it was a long, long way from achieving it. By the summer, and I'm getting to the Christmas aspect of this. So by the summer of that year, the most powerful Navy in the world was conveying the greatest British expeditionary force the world had ever seen. Over 30,000 professional soldiers to suppress the American rebellion. 17,000 of those were trained Hessians, fully equipped, backed by the wealth of the empire.
starting to wonder. I'm thinking Bernie's not connected to this Christmas end of the year stuff because he has got that deep, dark Nirvana stuff planned. Good stuff, but dark. When we went to the break, we were talking about Thomas Paine and Benjamin Rush. And uh, Benjamin Rush being someone that, you know, is sitting there as they're debating issues at the beginning of the country. In the beginning of 1776, these, you know, hey, we can't tell people what we're talking about, but we're very concerned. We don't like the direction things are headed. We're feeling oppressed. And so let's talk about it. And then he takes that idea. He's a, he's a young guy. He's inspired. He goes and talks to his friend Thomas Paine. They start meeting in the evening and coming up with something that becomes the foundational document, the most popular printed document here by human hands, and it becomes common sense, which touches people all up and down the, the colonies to say, hey, wait a minute. I hadn't really thought about this, but yeah, I'm, I am feeling it. it. It unites the American cause that leads – to the Declaration of Independence in, in July of that year. Now, by seven by the summer that the Navy, the powerful British Navy, was coming, the greatest British expeditionary force in history, across the ocean to suppress these Americans. Over 30,000 professional soldiers, including 17,000 Hessians, fully equipped, backed by the wealth of the empire. America didn't have the, the money to fight this war. It just didn't. It didn't have the resources. Washington's Continental Army was no match for this. The most informed leaders in England thought and said they would make short work of the rebels. European powers largely agreed. They felt that this was just an incursion. The British would suppress it. Tories and even many revolutionaries in America thought the same thing. Through the summer and fall of 1776, Washington and his army suffered a defeat after another, after another, retreating from New York across New Jersey and finally crossing the Delaware into Pennsylvania as British and Hessian forces chased them. His men were in pathetic shape. Many of them had no shoes. They wrapped their feet in rags. You've seen this. You remember that imagery. Many were sick. Many more were dispirited. Winter was coming. Enlistments would expire at the end of the year. On December 20th, Washington wrote Congress, 10 more days will put an end to the existence of this army. That's where we were five days before Christmas 1776. That's where the state of what was to be the greatest nation ever really was. It was at that point, 10 days. We got 10 days the most powerful army on the planet, two guys inspired and, and wrote a pamphlet that became the driving force, and now we find ourselves almost at the end. Thomas Paine experienced firsthand and was deeply moved by the desperate plight of America's army and the American cause. He donated all the proceeds from common sense to purchase mittens for the soldiers and volunteered to serve as a civilian aide on General Nathaniel Green's staff. And what he later described as a passion of patriotism, he started to write another pamphlet to stir the spirit, and resolve of the soldiers and the countrymen. This one was called The Crisis. Its opening line became Paine's most quoted sentence. These are the times that try men's souls. It was followed by a line almost as familiar. Quote, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country, but he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. The first installment was printed in Philadelphia a few days before Christmas and might have even been read to Washington's troops. On Christmas morning, 1776, Washington received a visitor to his tent on the Pennsylvania side of the Delaware. It was Benjamin Rush. According to Rush's recollection, he had never seen Washington. Depressed, he talked about the ragged and dissolving state of the army, how it affected him. They spent hours, an hour, excuse me, they spent an hour together. They, as they spoke, Rush noticed Washington writing something with his quill on small pieces of paper. One of those pieces of paper slipped on the floor, and Rush 
was struck with the inscription upon it. It read, Victory or Death. Washington wrote that. Only later did Rush learn that this was to be the password for a desperate military operation. Washington was planning for that night. In daunting winter conditions, Washington led 2,400 of his troops across the Delaware, ice everywhere, to attack 1,500. Yeah, it was before global warming, so you could still get across the river ahead ice and stuff. 1,500 Hessians in winter quarters in Trenton, New Jersey. His daring attack was victorious and would be memorialized as one of the most well-known paintings of that time. Washington followed it a week later with a victory at Princeton against British regulars. The stunning victories revived. Our spirit kept the army together and showed the British that they would have to conquer to prevail and further elevated Washington as the great hero of the revolution. Frederick the Great said, The achievements of Washington and his little band of compatriots were the most brilliant of any recorded in the annals of military achievements. If Washington had lived in the days of idolatry, according to the Pennsylvania Journal, he would have been worshipped as a god by all reasonable signs. David McCullough writes, and if you hadn't read a McCullough work, do. They're fantastic, whether 1776 and, and other pieces. Before these victories, the war was over and the Americans had lost. Fools and fanatics are not governed by reasonable signs. Neither are heroes. In the heat of the moment, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference. But that's what really happened. Kind of a succinct, that's an overly succinct version of what happened. And so as we think in terms now, we think in terms today, let's think about today. For, it's kind of like when someone gives a really great sermon in front of your church. They contextualize biblical scripture and make it, they, they don't tell you, because so many times we read those scriptures and we, we apply them today without context. And they, they don't make sense, or worse, we interpret it the way we want to interpret it rather than what it really meant. So in terms of today, the fight for American independence is far from over. In fact, if anything, it is, it's more achievable with less sacrifice and greater reward than then. And all of you who listen, all of you who are, I mean, I, when I speak to legislators that are fighting that fight, they feel outgunned, they feel overwhelmed. There, there aren't that many conservatives in your state house in Raleigh. I think the Senate has, as a percentage, the Senate certainly under Phil Berger has more of them. The House fewer, even though there's more Republicans over there. There's not a super majority of Republicans, but many of those are go along, get along. Hey, I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine. We'll get along. We'll pass a few things. But they're not They're not ready to go to the mat for you. And, we, and, and you can see this. You can see this made manifest when you see a $1.7 trillion bill passed in D.C. with Republican help. No balance, neither party wants a balanced budget amendment, which would make a profound difference. Would make a profound difference. A balanced budget amendment would change the world. But they, they think you aren't going to get involved. They think you're not going to care that much. Five million people crossing the southern border. Imagine if an army of five million came across that border. Would that get our attention? Of course it would. It's just a different kind of armed invasion. It is one that is fueled by cartels, loved by terrorists, and ignored by D.C. Much more to go as we wrapped up Hour 1. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. I'll be here all week, folks. Second hour getting ready to be underway. Give us a call, 704-570-1110. We'll be right back after this. (laughs) 